The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown presents The Battle of Ruritania, Episode 7. Maud wasn't sure what to do with herself. With nothing to do and no one to consult, she roamed the halls for a while, until she decided that no one would mind if she played some billiards. The billiards room doubled as a library, complete with high shelves and wheeled ladders affixed to metal runners. Maud pulled back thick curtains, revealing high windows. The view was divine, rolling hills of white fields and snow-dusted evergreens. Maud doubted there was a more splendid room in the castle, or maybe any castle. Maud picked up a cue and foraged in the drawers for some balls. Within minutes, she had racked them up, placed the cue ball, and was sizing up her first break. The triangle cracked apart, and colored balls flew in every direction. Maud giggled to herself. She still had the touch. She played a full game, keeping score in her head. She played a second, then a third. Maud cherished the smack of polished wood, the thud of balls sinking into pockets. Her concentration was so rapt that she failed to notice Rudolph standing in the doorway. Oh, she exclaimed, dropping her cube of chalk. Mr. Brute, uh, that is, uh, Lord, um, mein Herr, please continue, said Rudolph in a gentle voice. I'm glad to see someone putting this room to good use. Oh, I would move right in if I could, said Maud. It's so lovely here. I have always believed, mused Rudolph, that a man does not truly know his own home until someone visits. I can't remember the last time I came in here. Not even for a book? Rudolph winced. Now you're truly twisting the knife. Maud bit a cuticle. She glanced at the constellation of balls on the table. Would you care for a game, Baron? Rudolph grimaced. I would be delighted to lose to someone so lovely. They played. The Baron wasn't nearly as talentless as he'd let on. He aimed his shots with confidence and he could accurately strike balls from across the table. But Rudolph couldn't bank, which was Maud's specialty. By the time she sank the eight ball, Rudolph was hopelessly behind. At least you are not taking pity on me, he said. Maud chalked her cue meditatively. Rematch? One game led to another, and Maud continued to sweep the table. Rudolph stripped away his robe, playing now in a cotton shirt and suspenders. The land darkened outside, and Tiffany lamps were switched on. Maud asked Rudolph about his sculptures and paintings, which the Baron had voraciously collected since he was young. In turn, Rudolph asked Maud how she had become such a pool shark and she recounted her girlhood in the tenements of Columbus, Ohio, where her father had labored in a machinist's shop. 
after supper, he was always allowed two hours in the pool hall, Maud said. But there was one condition. He had to take me along. Rudolph laughed aloud. What a marvelous arrangement. Your mother is a shrewd woman. There was a knock at the door, and Milos stepped into the room. Milos, what splendid timing, Rudolph exclaimed. We must have cognac for myself and Fräulein Kapuscinski. Of course, mein Herr, said Milos. But before he moved, he raised a manila parcel in his gloved hand. The envelope was stretched, barely containing whatever was inside. There is also this, mein Herr. This? What is this? The photographs, said Milos. The prints you requested. Richard developed them in the castle darkroom. They have just finished drying. Ah, yes. Thank you, Milos. You have worked wonders today. Rudolph tore open the envelope and drew the stack of prints into the light. He cleared a sideboard and placed the pictures, one by one, on its surface, like a sharp dealing cards. Maud looked over the Baron's shoulder, eyeing each one. What are they? These, said Rudolph, are photographs taken by Dr. O'Malley before his passing. They appear to be notes, papers. I presume these were taken in Castle Centa, in the secret laboratory. It was for this that the good doctor sacrificed his life. Oh, my, murmured Maud. Thus, Rudolph added, we must make the very most of them. They stared at the pictures, all fourteen of them. They saw writing written in a hurried scrawl. There were drawings as well, and some kind of map. Is that German? Maud asked. Alas, no. It is Russian, I believe, which is not a language I can read, and the penmanship is, let's say, not convenient. Maud lifted one of the pictures into the light. Does this look like a monkey to you? I believe it does, said Rudolph. I might not have thought so. I assumed that the artist did not know how to draw a human face. Now I see it. Yet the body, it is not the torso of a primate. Does it not look like that of a man? Except for the arms and legs, countered Maud. Look, they're so long. And these marks, here and here. I think that's supposed to be hair. My God, Maud, I think you're right. The muscles of the body, they are all correctly drawn, for a man, anyway. But the limbs, they are all misproportioned. Maud swelled with excitement. Do you know anyone who speaks uh, Russian, was it? Sandor speaks some, but he has not yet woken. One of the servants, maybe? A good idea, but I doubt it. Ruritanians are provincial by nature. The lower classes rarely bother to learn any language but their own. Just then, another visitor appeared. Sir Shanley, rolling his wheelchair through the door. I say, he said, I trust I'm not intruding. 
Not at all, Theodore, said Rudolph. Welcome. We were just playing some billiards and solving a mystery such as we are able. Sir Shanley nodded toward the sideboard. Oh, there's the, um, the photographs. The ones taken by um, O'Malley. Indeed. Is it possible you speak Russian, Theodore? Sir Shanley harumphed. Niet. He smiled awkwardly at his own joke, and the others followed suit. Still, he rolled his wheelchair over to the photographs and leaned toward them. He stroked his white mustache contemplatively. Do you make anything of them? asked the Baron. Sir Shanley leaned back again, resting his hands on his stomach. When you mm, invited me back to Ruritania, Rudolph, you asked me to bring members of the Order with mm, certain skills. I did so, of course. Sandor is a fierce fighter. I myself have always served as a mm, coordinator. And O'Malley... He picked a knit from his afghan. O'Malley will always be the most cunning scientist where the mm, paranormal is concerned. But Elizabeth, she is the soothsayer, the master of puzzles, where the rest of us see copies of papers in a language we cannot read. Elizabeth shall see something more, something complete. Of all the uncanny things we have studied over the years, there is nothing as uncanny to me as her intelligence. Then, said the Baron, we must wait for her. A voice came from the entryway. Don't wait too long. With an endorsement like that, our girl's got a lot to live up to. Rudolph, Maud, and Sir Shanley all looked up to see Elizabeth, leaning against the doorframe, arms casually crossed. Her cocky grin was forced. She wore a skirt and sweater, both askew, and her face was smudged with dried tears. Her eyes puffed red, and her hair was misshapen. Maud ran to her and clasped her hand. Even Elizabeth's fingers felt cold and bloodless. But she was here now, risen and alert and ready. No one could begrudge Elizabeth a little cannabis. And anyway, she didn't seem interested in anyone's opinion on the matter. She rolled up a reefer in a matter of seconds, licking the paper artfully and accepting Rudolph's lighter. She inhaled and exhaled with restorative intensity. Earthy smoke soon draped the air. Then she looked at the photos. She leaned against the sideboard, drilling her eyes into every image, she turned her head sideways, adjusted and rearranged the glossy papers. She took more drags until the reefer was only a blackened nub. She drummed the wood surface with her fingers or pulled at a fingerful of her own hair. The others waited in silence. Maud and Rudolph sipped from their bulbous snifters. Now and again, they cleared their throats, but no one dared interrupt her. 
until Elizabeth said, Maud, rack me up a game, will you? Oh, said Maud, sure thing, Elizabeth, but who do you want to play? Doesn't matter, you, Rudolph, or the hell with it, let's play cutthroat. I'll take the middle five. Maud arranged the balls. Rudolph broke. Elizabeth picked up a cue and approached the table. Balls were scattered everywhere, each one still in play. She bent over the rail, eyeing the cue ball. A drawing of a man with the face of an ape, she pondered aloud, and pages of notes, all in Russian. Elizabeth made her shot. The white sphere rolled diagonally away, bouncing against the rails, striking nothing. The oncologist straightened, barely seeming to notice her scratch. Sir Shanley, you know what this sounds like to me. Sir Shanley shifted in his chair, looking surprised to be addressed, and perhaps mellowed by the cloud of cannabis that now filled the room. Go on, he said. Elizabeth watched Rudolph take his shot. Then she said, The Man-Z Project. The what-Z project? Maud returned. A portmanteau, said Sir Shanley, of man and chimpanzee. A mm, hybrid of human and ape. That scientist, what was his name? Elizabeth asked, as Maud sank two balls in a row. Ilya Ivanovich Ivanov, answered Shanley, the Soviet biologist. He's attempted to breed these so-called manzees for years. Could he be here in Ruritania? Uh, doubtful. The Bolsheviks keep a tight leash on their scientists, but a colleague, perhaps, someone familiar with his research, an exile. An exile, echoed Elizabeth, tossed out of his home country, in need of a job, in need of connections, someone to support him. One man's exile is another man's national hero. Suppose he knows all this monkey business, and he offers it to Prince Michael. What if... Elizabeth twirled the cue excitedly in her hand. What if the superweapon isn't a bomb or a gun? Maybe it's not a machine at all. What if it's a soldier? A kind of soldier the world has never seen. Take the best parts of either species, mix them together, and what do you get? Rudolph perched himself on the edge of the pool table. A soldier that is both man and beast, engineered to kill, and for perhaps no other purpose. Elizabeth fired another shot, grazing one of Rudolph's balls and sinking one of her own. Now, about this map, she said. Baron, I'll need your local expertise. Rudolph sipped his cognac. I tried to decipher it, but I cannot even read Cyrillic, much less understand the words. And if the map has marked the name of a place in Ruritania, I do not recognize it. There is nothing to suggest that the map shows Ruritania at all, Sir Shanley said. It could be some place in Rhodesia for all we know. Elizabeth frowned. 
She watched Maud smoothly eliminate two more of her balls. I can't read Russian, she said, but I know the Cyrillic alphabet, and I can at least sound out the words. Now, look here. This squiggly line, it looks like a river. Perhaps, said Rudolph, but it is not marked. Could it not also be a road? Elizabeth set down her cue. Do you see these dots here? The letters spell out Ford. That might be the same word in English, a shallow place for crossing water on foot. Rudolph took another look at the photo. He snapped his fingers. There is a place, very well known, on the Blovoy River. Peasants have crossed here since the Middle Ages, and the river curves nearby, much like this. Is there anything near there? If I recall, there is a water mill, said Rudolph. Now could it be this circle with an X in the middle? Perhaps that represents a mill, that is, a, a water wheel. How about that, said Elizabeth. Doesn't look like Rhodesia now, does it? And over here, she pointed to a series of horizontal squiggles. This looks to me like some kind of swamp, and I'd be willing to bet that's what Boloto means. Of course, Rudolph cried. Der Schwarze Sumpf, that is, uh, the Black Swamp. It also lies very close to the old mill. Then this, Elizabeth continued, jabbing her finger into the glossy paper, must be some kind of dwelling, or maybe a town. Now Rudolph hesitated. It was a drawing of a house, with a single door, a single window, and a sloped roof. He might have overlooked this tiny landmark, but it appeared to be important. The house was circled several times, and arrows pointed at it from more than one direction. And yet, said Rudolph, I cannot imagine what it is. Hardly anyone lives in that part of the country. It is mostly timberland. There is certainly no village. Elizabeth squinted at the word written there. Tsiganka. Damned if I could guess what that means. Rudolph paled. He studied the photo once more. Say it again. What, Tsiganka? My God, Rudolph whispered. That's it. What's it? Do you know what that means? I believe so. Tsiganka sounds like Tsigoina, does it not? That is a German word. I'm almost positive they are the same. But what does it mean? Rudolph licked his lips. Gypsy. That is the meaning of Tsigoina. This place, I have little doubt, is a gypsy camp. And whatever the prince intends for it, it cannot be good. You've been listening to The Battle of Ruritania, Episode 7, written and performed by Robert Eisenberg. The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown are produced by Airmail Media in beautiful Providence, Rhode Island. Music provided and licensed by Audioblocks.com. For more information about the exciting field of uncanology, visit Elizabeth Crown dot net.